If you would, let's pray. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come and we are delighted and we are intrigued. We're delighted by the fact that, Lord God, your word promises that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you are, you're in the midst, that there is a very particular way that you make your presence available when your people would obey you by gathering. And as people are gathered two or three in their homes and gathered two or three in here in this place, Lord God, would we all experience collectively, Lord God, the unique visit uh, of your spirit and let there be a demonstration, Lord God, in our hearts and in our, in our spaces, Lord God, a demonstration of your spirit that galvanizes our trust in the gospel uh, or informs our heart of the gospel if we do not know it. Lord God, every one of us is ignorant of the gospel in some way. Lord God, we have pockets in our lives that have not fully bought in. We have not put all of our chips on the table. Though we may be redeemed and we have trusted Christ, there's still areas of our lives that still need to be yielded to you. And Lord God, would you search those out today? And as you search them out, would you call them forward and would we lay them down? And Lord God, would we, would we just allow you to sanctify us in those areas? Please, oh God. We pray, oh God, that for every one of us that has just kind of a, an area of our life that is, that is kind of frozen over, maybe become calloused and, and, and Lord God, against conviction, Lord God, would you, would you thaw that area of our lives so we become more sensitive to your spirit? Would you awaken in us, Lord God, fresh vigor for obedience and seeking your face as we've all started out on these new journeys with uh, reading plans and many of us have goals and ideas about how we want to be more spiritual or how we want to be more committed this year. Lord God, would you, would you enjoin us on those? Would you reshape our goals so that they, uh, so that the Lord God, that so that they have kingdom impact? And would you, Lord God, if we're a person who has just kind of given up on life, moved into a place of depression, have no more ambition, no more joy, would you meet with us? And Lord God, just give us just a singular thing that we would reach for and aspire for in you. Lord God, that would, uh, that would become a source of our joy. Lord God, we need you, as I said. Lord, would you allow us to experience the full thrust of doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, and we will be thoroughly furnished for every good work as we preach your word. Enable me now. I need you desperately. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, all right. Well, again, thank you very much for those of you that have come out this morning, and thank you though, uh, very much for those of you that have dialed in. You've got your cups of coffee or whatever it is that you do when you watch online. Thank you, Jalen, for serving us so well and leading us in worship and setting the environment. As you've already heard from... Um, um, earlier uh, from Zach, we are in this uh, brief mini-series uh, the, from the book of Acts going through chapters 1, 2, and 3, and I'll be uh, taking chapter 3 today. We typically, at the beginning of every year, try to drill down with some additional depth in our, uh, on, on our identities and in some aspects of our mission, which is to uh, <clears throat> be, a, uh, be a church. Well, well, our vision is to be a church that, is, uh, 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 that displays the uh, reconciling hope of the gospel. And in our mission, is we want to uh, make disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. And you probably kind of heard uh, those notes kind of struck throughout the last two messages, and you'll hear them again today as we think more clearly through the scriptures on what it means to move forward or to, or to go forward on mission. So you've already heard once from me to go, what it means to be to go forward in the gospel, and then from Pastor Ryan last week, what it means to go forward as a family, and then now you'll hear again what it means to go forward on mission as we look at Acts chapter 3. 
But before we get to Acts chapter 3 and talk more uh, carefully about mission, I want to um, uh, talk about just uh, uh, something I think you'll find interesting. Um, some years ago, <coughs> I got exposed to the work of a man by the name of Dr. John Cotter. He's not a theologian before you start rushing in your notes. So we're going to read that book. Um, Dr. John Cotter is a leadership guru. Um, he's a Harvard guy. He's on their leadership team, but he's got some really good stuff. And uh, he crafted something that was relatively uh, become rel somewhat of a phenomenon in the business world called the eight steps of change, the Cotter model, the eight steps of change. And... Um, uh, uh, John, uh, or Dr. Cotter didn't create the Cotter model. He created the model, but he didn't create the underlying concepts. He just kind of codified them in a way. And uh, what the Cotter model does is it looks at major change movements in both the world and in various institutions, and then looks for some common movements or activities that produce that change, and then try to kind of commit them to a template, written books about them and articles and all this kind of stuff, and then, you know, organizations all over the world and people who are trying to drive change in their respective spaces uh, kind of lean into these principles. And I'm going to share some of them with you, because if you think carefully about any major world change or any major societal change or any major institutional change or even any major individual change, you will, be in, you will begin to clearly recognize some of these concepts and go, yeah, that is how that happened. As a matter of fact, as I share these eight steps of change with you, I'll be, you'll be assured that if you've ever experienced change at your company or if you've ever experienced change in your household or even change in your own life, you will recognize some of these movements. And so um, uh, the, the Cotter model uh, goes as follows, that before there can ever be any change, there must first be what we call a burning platform, whether it's the civil rights movement, whether it's the abolition of slavery, whether it's the women's suffrage movement, whether it is the foundation of the United States of America, there has to first be a burning platform. And the burning platform is symbolic for uh, uh, people who have become dissatisfied with the status quo that says that the way things are right now cannot stay that way. Right? That's what a protest does, right? People flip over cars. They set buildings on fire. They throw trash cans through windows. And they're like, no more of this. Right? It's a burning platform. And so even for people who are not necessarily thinking that the status quo is all that bad, people, when they see a burning platform, they go, what's going on over there in that city? What's happening in that town? Why are those people doing that? And so it creates all of this, like, attention and this astonishment. And so the first thing you need in the Cotter model or, or that he's observed that you need for change is there has to be a burning platform. For instance, each and every one of you who probably has any real New Year's resolution or, 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 or any, any commitment or, or desire for change in your life, you stepped on the scale and said, that's not acceptable. You looked at your bank account and says, no more. I can't believe we spent that much at, at, at Wendy's or Chick-fil-A. Right? Like, like, I mean, think about it. Any area of your life where you're really committed to change, it isn't like, eh, I guess we can fix that. No. You've seen something of the status quo and you said, no more of that. The status quo is unacceptable. And that's what a burning platform is. The next thing that happens at the institutional, at the larger level, after you identify a burning platform, uh, what Dr. Cotter says that people, like, what they do if they really want change, because you can see uh, a, a status quo that is unacceptable and complain about it. These are movements that don't go anywhere. No more, no more. And then just like, yeah, just no more. Every week, just a new chapter of no more. And, no, and, no, and there's no change that happens. Just people constantly complain. 
But if you really want change, what happens is all of that energy from this, this, this burning platform has to then move into a small guiding coalition, a group of people who say, we have to do something about this. And then that guiding coalition, which is step two, is then given a vision. They either craft a vision or they are handed a vision. They come up or they craft a vision, number three. And then number four, this compelling vision has to be communicated or socialized very broadly. Like, we must change this, and here's how we have to change it, and who's on board with this change? Like, there has to be a vision, like a preferred future. Like, this is where we're going. We will no longer tolerate this, and this is the new place where we're headed. The bus, the, the bus boycotts, right? Like, 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 if you look, if you look, you take this overlay and put it anywhere, or look at yourself, Right? Whether it was, again, a notice from the doctor, a meeting with your family that says, we are going to eat differently around here. Right? Right, right. There was just a vision. There was a, there was a declaration, not just of dissatisfaction, but there was a demonstration of what new must look like. Right? So there's this compelling vision that gets socialized. And then there is an empowering of the doers. If you're talking about an organization or an institution or even a nation, you empower the doers. You, you got this group of people who have been called together, and they're not just a committee that creates great language and marketing collateral or, or nice notices or mailers, but then there's another group of people who are, who are, who are throughout the, the, the institution, the organization, or your household, or even in your life, you marshal your emotions, your, 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 your intellect. You, you reach into every aspect of your life your memory, right, on your job, you start packing a lunch. You, you just everywhere you go, you start doing things different. You, what you do is you empower the doers. That's, that's the next step. Then after the empowerment of the doers, there is then a celebration of the small wins. There's small wins. There's little incremental changes that happen. And people say, yes, that's what we're talking about. No win is too small. Yeah, that right there, that's what we're looking at. And you take those small wins and you consolidate them. And then you, you celebrate them first because you create culture around you. Then you consolidate them to put all of these little tiny small wins together to say, this is what the right path looks like. You'll see this really borne out as the civil rights movement began to pop in various cities and states. It, it just kind of got consolidated and then celebrated and then socialized. And then what you do after you have socialized all of these small, infinitesimally small changes that didn't seem to mean anything by themselves, but now as they're consolidated and then they get socialized throughout the entity, then what you do is you institutionalize the change and you wash and repeat until you have holistic individual institutional change. Now, I know that the last few minutes have probably been an absolute nerd fest, unless you're pursuing your MBA. <laughs> unless you're pursuing your MBA or you've already got it, you're, you know, those people are like, oh, yes, I love Pastor Rod. You know what I mean? The rest of you are like, man, can you please get to this Bible? And here we go. Here we go. Because I believe before Dr. John Cotter did any of his analysis of the great institutions of change or the great nations that have experienced change or the great companies or corporations that have experienced change, I believe that one of the great change movements in the world was watching the disciples change. As a matter of fact, Pastor Ryan mentioned at the end or somewhere in the middle of his message last week that there was, a, there was something said by Luke in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, that these men, this tiny cast, this, this group of 12 of which one had to be fired and replaced, this tiny cast, this small guiding coalition of guys 
They have the following T-shirt, tattoo, and epitaph. They turn the world upside down. You want to talk about change starting from a small guiding coalition. You want to talk about change. Someone who said the status quo is no longer acceptable. That is exactly what God did. And that's exactly what Christ did. And he came and gave us a vision for what the new thing must look like. And they socialized that vision, i.e. the gospel. And here we are. Never having met thousands of years removed from whoever these guys are that turned the world upside down. And here we are following the same idea, bought into the same vision, lives totally and radically changed. This isn't to the credit of Dr. Cotter. This is to the change of Jesus Christ. This is to the credit of Jesus Christ. And so uh, today's message is, the title is simply, Do You Have Any Change? Do you have any change? And I believe that real change can occur, real change does occur when Christians, followers of Christ, follow the Spirit's lead on mission. Very simply, I believe that real change occurs when Christians follow the Spirit's lead on mission. Why do I say this and why is it important for us to grab hold of this? Because each and every one of us can probably look from out beyond our eyes and beyond our families and eat our immediate lives and say, the status quo is not acceptable. There has to be change. Either our world is fundamentally broken and we say something needs to be different. I can't put my finger on it, but I know that this cannot continue at its current pace and state. This cannot continue on its current trajectory. Many of us may even be looking in the mirror and saying, I can't do any more of that. And, 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 that, and that recognition of a need for change is a great starting point because that's where God began when he looked at the world. And rather than choosing to press reset one more time through floods or fire, he says, you know what, I'm going to send my son. And then he did something else. As the changes began to be socialized throughout the world, we then were both recruited and solicited to be those change agents. And so I want to talk to you today again about how you and I can provoke real changes. We see our world broken, the, 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 the unique aspects of brokenness that we see, whether that brokenness is in the mirror in our own lives or in the world as we look out, I believe that that is a provocation that God wants us to be involved in mission. And we can provoke real change both in the mirror and in our world if we'll follow the Spirit's lead simply on mission. I want to look today in today's story at three distinct pockets of change. But let's read this passage first one more time, uh, just as verses 1 through 10. Uh, seeing, uh, excuse me, uh, in verses 1 through 10 uh, from the book of uh, uh, chapter 3, uh, I, I love this. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's important. That's why it's in the Bible. And a man lame from birth was being carried. That's important. That's why it's in the Bible. Whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms. So he's begging. He's like a panhandler type. Uh, of those entering the temple and seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him and as did John. And then look at us. They said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no gold or I have no gold or silver, but what I do have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
and he took him by the hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles uh, were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising. They recognized him as one. This is a small win, by the way. Uh, they saw him small, uh, uh, and recognized him as the man who sat at the gate uh, called Beautiful of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and, and amazement at what had happened. And then after that, it was a great preaching opportunity created. In this story, I want us to play, pay attention to three distinct pockets of change. You like that, Luke? Pockets of change. Yeah, 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 that's for you, brother. Three distinct pockets of change that we see. The first pocket is in the Lord's disciples. I don't want you to miss the change that is happening in their lives. Three distinct pockets of change. The first one is in the, Lord's, in the life of the Lord's disciples. The second little pocket of change that you're going to see in this story is in the life of the lame man, the lame man. The third pocket of change I want you to see are in the lives of the onlookers who are amazed. It's in the lives of the onlookers. Number three, the, in the lives of the onlookers. So pay attention to these three distinct pockets of change. One of the things that I want you to notice about change in our lives, whether they be small or whether they be magnanimous, they begin in this way. You see, missional momentum starts when individual men and women make daily gospel-centered decisions. I know when you look at yourself in the mirror or you look at your world or your family and you think about the brokenness around us, the chasms seem too wide. The brokenness and the craters seem too deep. And you think there has to be some kind of magnanimous effort or energy that comes to fix this and you feel totally uh, unequipped and disqualified to do something. But I'm going to tell you, if you look at the lives of what's happening in the disciples, missional momentum, massive missional momentum, you and I came to know Jesus and our lives were transformed because to a handful of 12 guys decided to make daily decisions that were gospel-centered, little daily decisions. And here we are, boom, churches. So you are the product of people who didn't look at the massive assignment of taking the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, and, and, the, and the uttermost parts of the world. They didn't look at there and go, whoa, that's way beyond us. They just made daily decisions that were gospel-centered, and boom, the gospel is here. So it can be done, but not because Michael Cotter says so, but because Jesus says so. All right, follow me carefully. So then... Look at the pocket of change that occurred in the lives of the disciples. The first pocket that I want you to see is that they go from being on the sidelines of a great miracle working ministry to now being on the center stage. They go from the sidelines to center stage. What do I mean? If you remember from your previous Bible reading or even just from earlier series of messages, the disciples have seen a person sitting who was totally paralyzed and had to be carried by others before. Hmm, where did that happen? Jesus was preaching not long ago in their own personal history. Jesus was out of the place preaching, and, and, and four people brought a man who was carried to the place where Jesus was preaching, and they climbed up and opened up the roof, removed the thatch, and let the dude down, and then Jesus forgave his sins, and everybody was like, hmm, underwhelming. <laughs> and, then he, and then he healed the guy. And he, he, he just got his bed and walked off. You guys remember that? The disciples remember it too. 
They were there on the sidelines watching, watching the whole thing go down. But now they're no longer on the sidelines. They've seen what Jesus can do in the life of a lame man who has been laid up in that way for many years. They've seen Jesus come up on a man who had been laying down for 40-something years uh, uh, waiting for someone to put him in the pool of Bethesda. They've seen this movie before. And no longer are they on the sidelines, but they are now center stage. What changed? What changed? I'll tell you what changed. The words of Jesus came true in their lives in Acts chapter 1 when he said, if you stay here, hang out here, you will receive power. That's what changed. They made a daily decision to obey Jesus, and Jesus met them by sending the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening now? Look at the disciples. They're just going up to the temple, which is the daily practice of people who just love God and want to seek his face. And about the ninth hour, on their way to going to prayer, daily life movements, right? This wasn't some major massive campaign. Just their daily life movements, and they encounter a man who has a unique need. So daily activities, when we are changed in this way, daily activities actually can become ministry opportunities. Daily activities, basic daily activities will and can become ministry opportunities. And the only difference in them just being daily mundane duties and massive ministry opportunities is you and me choosing to leverage those moments for the kingdom. It's just me and you. That's the difference. That's the difference. And so daily activities become ministry opportunities. But guess what else is happening? We see these changes in the lives of the disciples. Jesus' past example has now become a pattern for present execution. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus in John chapter 14, was to remind the disciples, and we, of which we are, of the things that Jesus taught them to convict the world of sin, and to remind the disciples. And here it is. Clearly, they are reminded of these great moments in Jesus' life because they said, you know what? Man, we don't have any silver or gold, but let's give this guy what we do have. All we got is Jesus. This is an incredible statement of when, you know, when our lives have been reduced to their lowest common denominator and we don't feel like we have anything to offer and all we have is Jesus, we are probably in one of the most powerful positions that we could ever be. When our lives would lay, are laden down with options, we often opt out of the God option. But when we have no options and God is our option, man, that's where we experience great power in our lives. So relish seasons of great dependency. Seek them and pursue them. I'm not telling you to go out and live lives of poverty and try to go to the tops of mountains where you have no options and no running water and no electricity. I'm not asking you to try to falsely uh, 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 facilitate a life of leanness, but I do ask you that when you experience, no matter how many options you have in life, try to never lose. Beg to the Lord that you never lose your sense of him being your only option and being totally dependent on him. And what you do have is designed to be leveraged for him. I'm trying. Thank you. Amen. And so simply put, Looking at this pocket of change in the life of the disciples, it calls us to do this, to note, to just note that the same power that was operating in Jesus has now become obvious in his disciples. 
Jesus said it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We share not only in the assignment, but we also share in the access to that same Holy Spirit. And so, distinct pockets of change. The first pocket happening in the Lord's disciples. The second major pocket of change happens in whose lives? The lame man, the lame beggar. Who said that? Amen. M multiple people. Ha. Uh, uh, leadership Pipeline 2. That's right. That's an alum. That's an alum right there. Um, good stuff. The lame man. Well, what unique pocket of change happened in his life? So here's a lame man. Note what the Bible says about him. I won't reread it. I'll just kind of give you some highlights. You, but you were here when I read it. Um, the lame man looks at them, asks for alms. They say, we, get, we don't have any gold, silver. We give you Jesus. His, his, his joints and ankles. And the Bible wanted us to know that he had always been this way from his birth in his mother's womb. Um, and, I, I, and I want you to grab hold of the gravity of this situation. This is a largely agrarian society. A man who cannot work, cannot eat. There is no social security. There is no FMLA. There is no disability benefit. There is no HR office. There is no union rep campaigning on his behalf. There is no administration passing legislation on behalf of those who are disabled and disenfranchised. This man is out of luck in terms of being able to live a life of any type of fortitude. The church was just born a couple of weeks ago in the preceding chapter. So the church doesn't even have this long-standing infrastructure of benevolence. And even if they did, they could give him some bread today, but what about tomorrow? So this is a man who is truly in a destitute position. And it says that, that people are bringing him daily. So his reputation has become that a man who just needs to be picked up and brought to the gates to beg daily. And they do so at the ninth hour because that's the highest time of traffic. So he has the, the most opportunity to get some alms. And this is his cycle. This has become his life. But the lame man goes in this story. Look at the change. He goes from becoming a beggar at the gates to being a beacon of God's grace. The Bible tells us prophetically in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 6, that when Jesus is come and he does his work, that the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb will sing, for the water shall burst forth out of the wilderness and the streams shall come in the desert. In other words, the power of God will create a dynamic, an unprecedented contrast in the lives of the people who are impacted by it. The lame man doesn't just get a little bit of an upgrade or a life improvement. He is a man who sits outside the gate. I want you to understand that if you were a man who had a physical deficiency like his, you could not aspire to or ever be a part of even the priesthood according to the Old Testament. So here's a person who both culturally, societally, and economically in any way would be seen as an outcast or at a minimum disadvantaged. And so here it is that he encounters the power of God a, through the name of Jesus and his great power. And he goes from being a beggar outside the gate to being a praiser inside the gate because it says he went inside and he was dancing before the Lord and praising him. This is an incredible change and it is an incredible portrait of grace. 
because we too, prior to the intervention of Christ, was the lame man who from birth had a deficiency that totally disqualified us from being able to come inside the gates and to fully enjoy the glories of the Lord, except it be for his grace. And so the, the, the lame man, this isn't just a routine healing. This is a rubric that God is screaming at humanity that the, the beggar goes from outside the gates to being a beacon of God's grace. This is how God's grace works. He goes from the panhandling lame to praising and dancing before the Lord. He goes from being an outsider to being an insider. But there's something else very powerful that happens. The Bible says that everybody sees the man, everybody sees him, recognize him as the person who used to sit out the, the, the gate for all of his life. That's why I believe the Bible gives us this little, this little asterisk, this little extra, this parenthetical moment. It says he had been like that his whole life. So when the Lord changed him, everybody knew that the change had occurred. And so now he's not just one who has used to be carried to the gate, but now he is a carrier of the message of God. He used to be carried, now he's a carrier. This, he's a carrier of the mail of God, so to speak. He's the one who is in his very body and life is able to deliver to the world a profound declaration that God can indeed change us regardless of how far outside of him and how disabled and discredited you may have ever felt. The lame man is a great icon of change. He is a small win if you will, if Michael or of Dr. Cotter had a chance to look at the Bible. The lame man is just one among many small wins. These miracles are just small wins that get consolidated for us in the pages of Scripture to serve as our encouragement so that the great change of God can be consolidated in our hearts and minds, that God didn't just do this once or twice. He does it over and over. Man, I think he could do it in me. And so... Look at the gravity of the change. It was something that had plagued this man his entire life. I'll be honest with you. Will you be honest with me? I won't ask you. I'm not a priest, so I'm not going to ask for any confession. I don't even have the little booth. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Think about this. Think about the areas of our lives that we feel really good about and confident that change can take place. It's the stuff that has been short term. Oh, my knee just started bothering me when I turned 40. I just got to build up my quads. Right? Think about the stuff that we believe we can actually change. It's usually short-term, surface-level, not long-standing stuff we feel real confident about. But the things that have always been with us, we officially wear the T-shirt of a victim or a broken one and say, ah, I just say, never change. Do we not? Do we not? Amen. For those of you online, there are people in the audience that are nodding. I don't know what you're doing. Pockets of change. Do you have any change? The Lord's disciples experienced change. The lame men experienced change. And I believe it's a profound change we need to pay attention to. And, and, and hear this. Just because Jesus has ascended doesn't mean that his ministry has ended. This is, I think, the profound stake in the ground that is being given because the disciples felt somewhat defeated when they found out that Jesus was going up. 
And so here is, here is God screaming from heaven or writing on their hearts and with an exclamation point, slamming down his divine pen saying, just because Jesus has ascended does not mean that the powerful ministry of Jesus has ended. John chapter 14, verses 12 and following. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so, this is a great confidence builders, not just for the 12, but also for the millions of disciples that have come to follow Jesus. We've made it to our third and final pocket of change. The onlookers. The onlookers who saw this great ministry unfold were astounded and amazed at how the man was healed. And as they were astounded and amazed, the disciples remembered exactly how Jesus leveraged ministry miraculous moments. If you pay attention to the pattern of Jesus, very rarely, if ever, and I'm, I'm open for correction if somebody can show me, a miracle that took place without ministry. Where, where the Lord didn't take the, the momentum of a miracle where people are astounded and then speak into that moment and start teaching what this really means. He wasn't a magician. He didn't just want oohs and ahs. He wanted people to come to the end of themselves and to know something about God and to know something about themselves that resulted in repentance. And the same thing is now happening in the pattern of the disciples' ministry as they are on mission because here it is, this man is healed. The people are astounded. And then there is this powerful dialogue that takes place. Look at it in your Bibles because I don't think you'll see it on your screen. And it says, while he clung to Peter and John, this is verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded. They ran together to them in in, in the portico called Solomon's. And then when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our power or our piety, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. I love these juxtapositions and these contrasts. You killed the author of life. These guys could have been great rappers. And, 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 and God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name by faith, and in his, in his name he has made this man strong, whom you see and know that the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. So here it is. They take this miracle moment. And they leverage it for ministry, and then they anchor the message of God in there. And so the onlookers go from being excited by his power to actually being invited to be his disciples. Because at the end of Peter's message, he then turns and says, it's time to repent of all the things that you've done. And the people have this undeniable ministry moment where they know that God is at work. And if if God is at work in this moment with this undeniable change, what do they need to do? 
The people go from being astounded to accosted. They are gripped by the message. They go from being accosted to being instructed. They go from being instructed to being convicted. They go from being convicted to being confronted or comforted by what they can do in light of these great things that they've seen. This is the same format that the Bible says that it follows, that the word of God is living. This word is living now. But it is good for what? Doctrine. They're being instructed about the ways of God in their own personal past. They're being reproved about what they did wrong. They're being corrected about what they need to get it right. And they're being instructed about how they can come to God. You see the synergy of God's word? That's just preacher food. There's probably only a select people, a group of people in the room who just enjoyed that. But anyway, it's for everyone. A little cotton candy there. But follow this and find this. Here it is as I close it up a bit. Undeniable change creates a captive audience for the undeniable charge of the gospel. Undeniable change creates a captive audience for the undeniable charge of the gospel. In other words, the people, if they had just busted in there and perhaps started preaching, they might not have got much attention. But it was the undeniable transformation and change that created a captive audience for the undeniable charge of the gospel. Jesus would say this in John chapter 12, verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw people to myself. In other words, there is a certain drawing power to the, to the powerful reality of Jesus' message that people cannot deny it. They, they look into it even if they don't like what it's saying. And so we too, I say this is what we participate. Because you might be saying, well, Pastor Rob, what do we go with this? Are we to go out to Panera and start pointing out the panhandle and be like, I don't have any spare change, even though you do. And tell him to get up? Like, what's going to be the thing that creates our captive audience? I'll tell you what. Undeniable change creates a captive audience of undeni for the undeniable charge of the gospel. I beg you, make your lives available for undeniable change. People who have known you for short periods of time or even long periods of time, who witness your life and see you with undeniable change walking as a beacon of God's grace who used to be like an outsider of the gates of God. Allow people who see that, allow people to, to, to have an inside peep in the undeniable change that is part of your life. And it creates a captive audience for the undeniable charge of the gospel. There's a, a good brother who is a friend of mine. I sat at the table with him not long ago, just a few weeks ago. Since the time that we sat at the table, he's lost like 40 pounds I don't even need to lose 40 pounds. Opinions may vary online or in different places. But I'm like looking at this dude on Facebook, and I'm, I'm like, man, this is a captive audience. What are you doing? Even if he told me he was drinking 86 unleaded, I'd be like, hmm, okay. I'm not exactly a, a, a gas drinker, but man, you look good. Like, 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 like undeniable change produces a captive audience for the undeniable charge. People want to know what's up. And so I would just say, allow the undeniable change in our lives to create a captive audience. And if you are a person who is not experiencing undeniable change, pray that it would. No matter where you are, pray that God will produce undeniable change. And so as I close, and all the moving pieces in the room that usually happen as we close, um, Hear this and understand this. Amen. <laughs> and so what we what we have in the gospel here is a great gospel illusion in the in the man 
who sat at the gate, outside the gate for the majority of his life. One who was previously denied. Now God transforms him and has glorified him. But we see that same motif in the life of Jesus. One who was previously denied by men has now been glorified by the Father. I don't know if in your life you're experiencing some sense of denial, some sense of letdown, some sense of disappointment, but God is interested in using that as a platform to both transform and to glorify his son through you in crazy change in your life so that through that crazy change, you create an undeniable and captive audience to talk about the charge of the gospel and how it has changed your life. God wants to do that. And I'm going to beg you today that um, you would join me in praying that God in each one of our lives would produce undeniable change. Lord, change me. If my life doesn't represent any decent before and after in any of its pockets, Lord, change me. I know I need an overhaul. I know I need transformation. Would you join me in a prayer like that? It's a crazy prayer, depending on how you feel about yourself. But let's pray it. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you change us? Would you produce in each one of us the kind of change that would cause people to say, hmm, and in that change, let there be a captive audience with, with whom we can share the charge of the gospel. Help us, oh God, open our eyes to see the daily mundane moments of life as little ministry moments where we can make gospel-centered decisions and create missional momentum for the gospel. Lord God, would you help us? Take that from being this preachy mouthful to being a motif out of which we live. Lord God, we beg you. We can't do it without you. We beg you, oh God, let there be a daily missional appetite stirred within each and every one of us. Lord God, help us to look over the great goals that we have outlined for our lives for change for this year. And I pray that in each one of them, oh God, you will allow us to see something of missional value that we can leverage for the kingdom. Glorify yourself in the life of your people. Lord God, as we see our world broken and desperately need of change, as we recognize areas in ourselves and around us where the status quo is unacceptable, draw us to our knees that we would hold those areas up before you and that you would use us, Lord God, to provoke change in that area through the charge of the gospel. This is our prayer in the matchless and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Let's worship him.